I'm Al Head, Director of the Alabama State Council on the Arts, and I want to welcome you to Alabama Arts Radio Series. Each week we will be introducing you to some exceptional artists and other special people who make the arts happen in Alabama. Alabama is the home of a wide range of gifted and creative people who make important contributions to our unique cultural environment. Each week, members of the council staff will be visiting with some of these special people and introducing you to some of our state's most valuable human resources. I'm Deb Boykin with the Alabama State Council on the Arts, and today we're talking with Al Head and Nick Spitzer. Our listeners probably know Al Head as the Executive Director of the State Council on the Arts, but they may not know that he's also the recipient of a 2012 National Heritage Fellowship for his contributions to public folklore. He originated folk life programs at three different arts agencies in Florida, in Louisiana, and here in Alabama. And you know Nick Spitzer is the host and producer of the highly popular show, American Roots. Thanks for not saying routes, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But what you probably don't know is that Nick was the first folk life director working with Al in Louisiana. So Al, can you tell our listeners why you think it's important for a public agency to have a folk life program? You know, it's a matter of public policy and public value. And I think as we are providing public dollars to support the arts and culture of a, of a state, that uh, recognizing and supporting folk life and folk traditions, folk artists, I think that's entirely appropriate and important, having some level of experience in Florida and then Louisiana and then coming home to Alabama. My goodness, if you're not supporting folk culture in those states as a matter of public policy, shame on you. You know, it was not a hard decision. It was not something that was complicated for me, although sometimes, you know, it's challenging to get the right money in the right place at the right time. I think it was an entirely appropriate and important thing for me to do as director of a state arts agency in those states. Well, and it can be hard to find the right people, but you certainly found the right person in Louisiana. Well, I've got to tell you that this was 1977, uh, almost 40 years ago, but as I was starting to look for somebody to direct and establish the Folk Life program there in Louisiana, I got a phone call from Bess Hawes, and she made me aware of, of Nick Spitzer, one of the best and the brightest young folks doing work in this area, and Roger Abrams and Texas, who who you had studied under and mm-hmm. your PhD and Archie uh, Green program and, and, all those. and Archie, I mean, they all call me and everybody said you need to hire Nick Spitzer, and so those were all folks that I I knew and respected, and uh, it, it was just a matter of having a fairly short meeting with Nick. Uh, I wouldn't even call it an interview, a short meeting to make me aware that this is exactly the right person to do what we're trying to do here in uh, Baton Rouge in Louisiana. And you were coming to Louisiana for the first time, right? Well, actually, no. I had been doing field work in rural French, Afro-French communities, uh, Creole communities, since 1975. I was a grad student at UT Austin. But I had discovered Zydeco in the... uh, 
record library of the college radio station at Penn, WXPN, and uh, somebody had arguably filed it correctly or misfiled it under the Caribbean bin. And when I first heard it, I thought, this is music from somewhere in the you know, French Antilles. And then I saw Louisiana, and I said, oh my, this is incredible. And I knew a little of Cajun music. I'd seen Cajuns at the Newport Folk Festival when they first went in the uh, mid-60s. But Zydeco was relatively new to me, and, and I just happened to meet one of the elders of one of the families, Boisek Ardouin, at a, again at a festival back east. So when I first came to Louisiana, I started looking up Cajun and Creole people that I'd heard about or knew and going to dances and hanging out. And when I decided on going to grad school, I went to Texas, partly because the Louisiana academic people were really not that interested in the local culture. You know, anthropologists sometimes tell you that they mainly care about other times and places. But at Texas, I had a lot of receptivity to working in these communities. So I, I had been in French Louisiana, but going to Baton Rouge and being involved in public programming and policy, that, that was really a whole nother thing for me. I had to really adjust my thinking uh, to do that. And, and Al helped me a great deal to understand you know, how to make it work. I couldn't have done this, the things that people credit me with, honestly, without Al's help in many different kinds of ways, aside from hiring me. It was an ongoing learning process for me. Well, Al, talk a little bit, too, about the policy aspect of it. I mean, you know, Nick is out there in the field working with all these interesting artists, all the different cultures of Louisiana, and what are some of the policy things that go into running a, a, a program? Well, in Louisiana, it was kind of odd that folk life is so much part of everyday life. And there were a lot of public officials, the Secretary of Cultural Recreation and Tourism, and you have legislators. They appreciated folk life and folk culture because they grew up with it. But then trying to translate that to a policy or an appropriation, some of them didn't quite put that together that way. And Nick and I laugh, uh, have laughed often about the Secretary of Culture, Recreation and Tourism, Jibby Fox, who was from Northeast uh, Louisiana, but we were talking to her about the need to increase funding and she said, you know, Al, Nick, she said, you know, hey, folk life in, in, in Louisiana is like trying to convince a rabbit to eat lettuce. I don't get why we've got to put a whole lot of money in this. So, you know, we were, we were having to drop back and, and, and really start from square one on why it was so important. Incorporating a policy of doing this in an agency and in a grants program and in hiring policies and, and allowing someone, you know, like Nick, who was very passionate and very impatient and very eager to do a lot of things very quickly. I mean, you, you have to work that into the structure of an agency and into state government. And, hey, there's certain guidelines and policies and things that Nick never really wanted to pay a lot of attention to. Uh, but, but you know, he, he learned to go from square one to square two to square three. Al there was very there's certain things that you, you, know, you kind of had to do. So if you translate that into policy, that's kind of what it was looking like then. What was the hardest part about that, Nick? Being a field-oriented person, it was hard for me to go into a sort of a bureaucratic setting. And though Al was extremely tolerant, and, and not only tolerant, he, he really gave me lots of good advice. And I would say he gave me enough rope in which I could either lasso a steer or hang myself. <laughs> and most of the time, I was able to get the steer somehow. I think more and more, we tried to do celebratory things. So we had festivals. We had a recording series. We, we did a folk life pavilion at the Louisiana World Expo in 84 and got national press 
press and went to the Smithsonian with a lot of the folks and many got heritage awards. And so uh, a lot of public recognition and celebration, I think little by little got to people. On the other hand, there was somebody like John Hankel, who was the Speaker of the House. He really liked what we were doing. And he's a you know, down-home New Orleanian. His line to me had a great New Orleans accent. He used to say, Nick, you got the biggest constituency in the state. They just don't know who they are. <laughs> and I thought, you know, this is like really pretty brilliant political advice. He was completely correct about that. And so I just, I think by using the terms folk art and folk life and doing projects and having the validation of a state arts agency, uh, all of those things really helped it move forward incrementally to where, you know, people began to say, hey, wait, what's going on with the folk life program this year? And it became, a, you know, more and more something that was important to people. And we had like-minded people around the state who joined in and helped out in, in so many different ways. One of Nick's, in my opinion, greatest achievements, we uh, were preparing for 1984 World's Fair in, in New Orleans. And, and Nick and I was, we were all pushing to have a, a folklife pavilion as part of that 1984 World's Fair in, in New Orleans. And as we kept pushing, the, the comeback was, well, if you can raise $400,000, I believe that's the figure. It was the entry level. Uh, entry yeah. level. If you can raise $400,000, then, you know, okay, we can sit down and talk and we'd probably do something. Well, to make a really long story short, it was Nick's communication with Russell Long in the Senate at the time and explaining why this was so important. And his and, wife, Carolyn, too. Yeah, really and, and, and Russell Long with the position, I mean, he was chair of the Appropriations Committee in the, in the Senate. After about two phone calls or something, he said, you know, you got your $400,000. But that was in response to and a testament to Nick's communication skills and working <laughs> with the powers that be. And as it turned out, the Folklife Pavilion at the 84 World's Fair was absolutely fabulous and 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 folks enjoyed it appreciated not only you know those from all over the world really but folks in Louisiana that saw that with a experienced that with a great deal of pride and 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 felt real good about the way their culture was being depicted put us, it put us on the map as a program and Hankel's idea that they don't know who they are you know suddenly was turning around because everyone wanted to perform at the little club we had everyone wanted to be cooking there building boats and showing what they could do and we had field projects that helped to make a lot of that happen and it became a great place to go and there's a long tradition of different cultures being at World's Fair. I pointed out all the Eskimos that had gone to Chicago and we're going to try this and, and it you know because we had gotten the good experience making records and doing festivals already by the time we got to the World's Fair a lot of pieces fell in place and the National Park Service also supported it. So we had the Senate and we had uh, the timber industry and the National Park Service and so we were well grounded. One of the legendary stories from the Folklife Pavilion there was the performance of Toots Washington, who did his set, and of course one of the legendary piano players of, of New Orleans, and Toots Washington, Professor Longhair, Alan Toussaint, all in that line of great piano players. He finished his set, folks were going crazy and cheering, he stood up and took a bow and died. On his face, uh, oh right gosh. there. I mean, and, and I mean, on on one hand, how tragic and how sad. On the other hand, 
What an incredible way for a man like that to go at a dadgum world's fair at the end, <laughs> yeah. you know, in front of cheering fans. And, uh, and the story of that has gotten maybe embellished over the year, but it did in fact happen. That's, People still talk about that. In New yeah, Orleans, that's for pretty, sure. pretty amazing. Pretty dramatic yeah. moment, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, Nick, you hit on an interesting point a minute ago, talking about presenting people. And when you're presenting folks or helping them to present their own culture. I mean, I think there's kind of a fine line there that you basically the role of a folklorist is to facilitate people presenting themselves. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can run into trouble that way too. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about your experiences with that? You know, when you're on a stage, you don't want to come across like the announcer at Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey's Circus. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you know, I happen to love those announcements, but they're appropriate to the circus, not to these things. You know, one of the realities is that, you know, people play this music or whatever they're doing. You know, maybe it's in a honky tonk. Maybe it's a juke joint. Maybe it's a back porch, a little local festival. So there's all these local contexts for performance. But I think uh, the proscenium stage is here to stay, as far as I can tell. And I see it as part of modernity that it's appropriate to try to encourage people who are oral tradition-based performers to get on that stage. And some people are extremely good at presenting themselves. Others would prefer to have the announcer. I've noticed situations where performers are extremely happy to be hearing about themselves as they finish maybe tuning or doing something. And they feel there's a sort of a kind of, you know, framing and heralding of their coming that some people really like a lot. I think it really goes back to the personality of the individual. What is the tradition? What kind of staging is it? Is it outdoor at a festival? Is it indoor on a stage at Wild Recital Hall at Carnegie Hall? Or, or where is it? And then I think you can adjust for that. I have a lot of faith in people's ability to adjust. And I think when they're comfortable, which is the key, if they're comfortable, people can do all kinds of things that they might not have imagined they can do themselves before and things I didn't imagine they would sometimes do. So I just take a, you know, almost the ethnographic look at here's the stage, here's the person, the repertoire, what's happening, how can we encourage it, how can we make it work you know, in this place, in this time frame, with this kind of audience? How do we educate an audience that may be outsiders as well as locals? There's just a lot of variables as to how to do all those different things. And honestly, I was just learning on the job. I can't say I can write a book about this. I did end up writing guidelines for the Smithsonian later about this stuff. But it was because I learned how to do it really in Louisiana on all these different stages and settings, whether it was a World's Fair or the fiddle contest at uh, Rebel State Park in Marthaville. You get a lot of different experiences. Well, in 2012, you had a chance to present Al Head to a national audience. (laughs) What was that like? Oh, <laughs> well, you know, this is, you're speaking of the National Heritage Awards of the National Endowment for the Arts, and I had done that uh, event for, I guess, almost 17 years uh, until uh, a couple of years ago. You're dealing with all kinds of different personalities, uh, you know, Yugoslavian knitters and gospel singers and fishing net makers and all kinds of things. But uh, the award that Al received is really in honor of people who worked in certain public ways to make people aware of the traditional arts. And for me personally, it was thrilling because, you know, I mean, here's my old boss who, you know, I'd gotten to learn so much with and from and, you know, here I am in another phase of life. And I was able to actually be on the stage with Al. And it, it just was incredibly pleasing to me. You know, of course, I was hoping to get Al to, you know, tell all kinds of little trade secrets and that sort of thing. But, you know, Al was, just, Al was a very consistent 
uh, person and extremely diplomatic. So he received the award with the big word of equanimity. He, mm-hmm. he didn't blush. He didn't seem too turned out or in any particular no, all way. Shucks. But everybody, everybody got to see Al, and I thought it was fabulous. I don't think a, another state arts chair has received that award, and he, he deserved it for all, the, all that we've learned from him and all, all that he's done for the field. Well, my, my trade secret was to hire good people, and Nick certainly was one of those. Peggy Bulger back in Florida, who went on to be director of the Folklife Program at Library of Congress, and Hank Willett, you know, here in Alabama, and started the Alabama Center for Traditional Culture, and then Joey Brackner and others, but again, hired people who were really, really good and committed to the folklife and traditional culture of a, of a given state. But there was a certain amount of symmetry about that award, having Nick be the host. I, I was honored by it for a number of reasons. One, I knew Bess so well and respected her so much, and to receive an award in her name was, was special. And I tried to emphasize in accepting the award that Nick was one of, of several of Bess's favorites, and she was one who really encouraged me to hire Nick. But she was such a wonderful lady, and I had hoped to, to sort of cast a little bit of the spotlight on, on her and, and then to have Nick there asking me questions, which was, <laughs> which was really great on one hand and awful on the other, <laughs> all during rehearsal. I'm in charge here now, Al. <laughs> he, well, and he never asked me the same question twice. You know, mm-hmm. we would do rehearsal, and he'd ask one set of yeah. questions, and, yeah. then, and then later he'd ask a whole different set. So I never got, I was off balance the whole time, which uh, is what he really wanted well, to do. Well, I, I anyway. was hoping for, all, you know, looking for different answers and just doing my best, the best that I could. I, I knew Al could take it. He's tough, you know. Yeah, it was great. And, it was great fun to get <laughs> back together with Nick in that setting. It's true. Well, you know, I should tell, I mean, maybe people know this in Alabama, but, you know, Al was a quarterback at Troy State, and so when when we did stuff in Louisiana, I thought when Al would come up with a strategy, I sort of felt like, okay, I'm the wide receiver now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or I'm going to have to be the halfback, it's a lateral, yeah. or I better block and help the quarterback, and, and I started thinking in those, those metaphors, and, and at one time we had a, a testimony in front of uh, the um, Senate Finance Committee of the state, and, and there was some contention surrounding the budget, and, you know, sometimes the state legislators aren't that sympathetic to arts and culture, and there are a lot of jokes being made about the program and other things. And I said, Al, you know, what do you think I should say? And he just said to me, eat the clock. <laughs> and I think, I don't know how many minutes I had. It seemed like an eternity. It was probably more like about 13 or 14 minutes, but it worked. And, and, and we were able to show the depth and diversity of what we were doing. They were members of the committee that uh, really related to our work. And then we were able to answer, you know, we are dealing with old time Anglo-American fiddlers and quilters. But so we had some interesting things going, and, and you know, as a, I, I never played football, I, and I played soccer. We didn't have a big enough school to have a football team, if you can imagine. So I felt like, you know, I'm on the field now, and the coach quarterback has handed me the ball, and I, I felt really good that day. And there were a lot of days like that where I felt we really achieved something special and convinced some people who were pretty hard to convince about certain things. I was going to say, you know, then and as and now to a large degree, I mean, we were dealing with some, as far as public policy goes, some fairly sophisticated, complicated issues. But learning to kind of speak on a level that people 
understand and you have some credibility and they're thinking you're not being pretentious, but you're, you know, you're talking to them and not at them. And that served us pretty well. And Nick was a great partner in that. He always had the substance and I tried to have a little bit of the smooth part of dealing with state government and politicians and public officials. We did accomplish some pretty good things back then. Y'all made a good team. And I think some of the things that were done in Louisiana are laid the groundwork for what we do here in Alabama yeah. and what happens in other state folk life programs. A lot of good things have happened from some really great people, and I'm proud to have been part of all of that. Yeah, I'm very impressed with what goes on in Alabama. I think it's really one of the great uh, state arts programs in the country, not just because Al's there, but because I, I think Alabama's an interesting state. It's an intimate state. Uh, it has its struggles and troubles of history, we all know. But at the same time, I feel like it's at a point where there's an enormous amount of hope surrounding the mix of people that are here and the continuities of culture here. And the way the State Arts Agency and the Folklife Center and other things are structured really allows for a good balance between all kinds of arts. And folk arts it sets a good tone for a lot of what goes on in modern questions of diversity and, and knowledge and intelligence and aesthetics. I feel like it's really a, an amazing program and just like I learned from Al how to be a better person when I went to the Smithsonian or did public radio or other things that I've done. I think Al learned every stage he went in different states to the point where, you know, it, it's an amazing sort of set of players that are here now. It's a very bright spot, I think, for Alabama nationally to think about arts and culture in this state. Well, it's a great place to work. It's a great place to be involved with traditional artists and tradition bearers. So we're all pretty fortunate to be on the team. Let me just close by saying what a pleasure it's been to have uh, Nick come to Alabama and be part of our leadership institute here at Cheha State Park. We do this every year and we bring in great people to talk to our state arts leaders and Nick has done such a wonderful job. Such a pleasure to have him be here for a short period of time with us in Alabama. So Nick, thanks very much. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I'm lucky enough to be here every week on the radio on American Roots. I hope that uh, y'all will tune in to American Roots. So you'll hear a lot of Alabama music, but also music from all over the South and all, all over the Gulf South. All the people that migrated out to California or, or up north to Detroit or Chicago or wherever they went. The music of the Gulf South is really music that helps define the American character. It's blues and rhythm and blues, soul music, funk music, country western and rockabilly, gospel, Cajun, Zydeco, uh, so many different kinds of great music. Jazz, of course, not just from New Orleans, but all over uh, the South. So uh, I hope people will tune in and, and, and check out American Roots if you haven't done so already. Well, they can tune in weekly on Troy Public Radio, and I hope they will. I hope they'll join us next week for Alabama Arts. This program was brought to you by the Alabama State Council on the Arts and the Alabama Center for Traditional Culture. Technical production by Steve Grauberger. All radio programs can be heard online at alabamaartsradio.com.
Tonight on Alabama Arts, Gal Head, Executive Director of the Alabama State Council on the Arts, and Nick Spitzer, a folklorist and host of the public radio program American Roots, discuss the role of folk life and folk arts in a public arts agency in an interview first broadcast in 2016. Yeah, I'm very impressed with what goes on in Alabama. I think it's really one of the great uh, state arts programs in the country, not just because Al's there, but because I, I think Alabama's an interesting state. It's an intimate state. Uh, it has its struggles and troubles of history, we all know. But at the same time, I feel like it's at a point where there's an enormous amount of hope surrounding the mix of people that are here and the continuities of culture here. And the way the State Arts Agency and the Folklife Center and other things are structured really allows for a good balance between all kinds of arts. And folk arts it sets a good tone for a lot of what goes on in modern questions of diversity and, and knowledge and intelligence and aesthetics. But first, the news. This week, Al Head, Executive Director of the Alabama State Council on the Arts, and Nick Spitzer, host of the public radio program American Roots, discuss the role of folk life in public arts. I'm very impressed with what goes on in Alabama. I think it's really one of the great uh, state arts programs in the country. I think Alabama's an interesting state. It has its struggles and troubles of history, we all know. But at the same time, I feel like it's at a point where there's an enormous amount of hope. That's Tuesday, 8 to 8.30 p.m. Central on Troy Public Radio.